0: using the Great Adventure Bible Timeline, we'll read all the way from Genesis to Revelation, discovering how the story of salvation unfolds and how we fit into that story today. This is day 37, so let's keep on rolling along. We're going to be reading today from the book of Exodus, continuing with our journey through Exodus, chapters 17 and 18, both of those chapters, as well as the book of Leviticus chapter 12, which is a short chapter, but also, you know, kind of important, I guess. (laughs) Sorry, that was bad. I guess. Are you kidding me? It's The whole thing's important, as well as we're going to pray Psalm 73. So again, Exodus 17 and 18, Leviticus 12 and Psalm 73. As always, I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, specifically speaking, the Great Adventure Bible from Ascension. If you want to get that Bible, you can go to ascensionpress.com. You can also, at ascensionpress.com, download for free your Bible in a Year reading plan by going to ascensionpress.com slash Bible in a Year. You can also subscribe. You're invited, encouraged, um, asked. I don't know. It'd be nice if you subscribe to this podcast by just clicking subscribe. It's relatively simple. Today, once again, we are reading from Exodus chapter 17 and 18. Exodus chapter 17 and 18. All the congregation of the sons of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people found fault with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you find fault with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the fault-finding of the sons of Israel, and because they put the Lord to the test by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Then came Amalek and fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, but whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so that they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat upon it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua mowed down Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the banner of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, Heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her away and her two sons, of whom the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when one told Moses, Behold, your father-in-law Jethro is coming to you with your wife, and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeisance, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because he delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians when they dealt arrogantly with them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, offered a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, his father-in-law, before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning till evening. When Moses, his father-in-law, saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand about you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between a man and his neighbor, and I make them know the statutes of God and his decisions. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it alone. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the decisions and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, choose able men from all the people such as fear God, men who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe and place such men over the people as rulers of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses gave heed to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way. his own country. The book of Leviticus, chapter 12. The Purification of Women. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, If any woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised, then she shall continue for thirty-three days in the blood of her purifying she shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for sixty-six days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the door of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering, and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. Psalm 73 Plea for Relief from Oppressors A Psalm of Asaph Truly, God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs, their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as other men are, they are not stricken like other men. Therefore, pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment Their eyes swell out of fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut through the earth. Therefore the people turn and praise them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. "'and wash my hands in innocence. "'For all the day long I have been stricken "'and chastened every morning. "'If I had said, I will speak thus, "'I would have been untrue "'to the generation of your children. "'But when I thought how to understand this, "'it seemed to me a wearisome task "'until I went into the sanctuary of God. "'Then I perceived their end. "'Truly, you set them in slippery places. "'You make them fall to ruin. "'How they are destroyed in a moment, "'swept away utterly by terrors.' They are like a dream when one awakes. On awakening, you despise their phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked at heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to those who are false to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We give you praise and glory. We ask that you please um, be with us right now and always in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As always, what a gift it is to be able to hear the word of the Lord. A couple things that are confusing sometimes. One is, let's go back to yesterday. Yesterday, we had uh, the manna from heaven. We had the quail that we're given. Or again, we're going to hear about this. Uh, upcoming again, but it's worth noting. The day before that, we had the crossing of the Red Sea. There are some people who will read some of these stories, and they'll try to—I don't say if the word is demystify. When I say demystify, I don't mean they want to cut through what's hazy, what cut through what's unknown. I think they want to uh, take out anything that is uh, supernatural. And so there are many people—not a ton, but a number of people—who are kind of like squeaky wheels who will say things like. Well, the crossing of the Red Sea was just a natural phenomena where there was a a mighty wind and it does this with a tide in the Red Sea it, it dries up a section of it and you can walk across it this kind of thing but uh, or the that there's a thing called manna that um there's bugs that secrete this thing overnight and you can find it on in the desert in the morning and that's what the manna was. And yet <laughs> we realize this. I remember years ago there's a priest who had told the story about uh this Jewish mom and dad who had sent their son off to college and as he was at college one of the professors said oh yeah the miracle of the crossing of the red sea wasn't really a miracle uh, it was a, a strong wind that blew the water to a lower level or you know a tide that blew it to a lower level moved it to a lower level so it was like two inches of water or so and that's what they crossed upon crossed the red sea through and and that's how the you know the egyptians died and so this son you know kind of proudly announces this to his parents and his father was that's a miracle his father said that's a, that's incredible that's a miracle and his dad in the son said what are you kidding me you just, I just told you it was it was just wind you know it was two inches of water and his dad said no what's a miracle is that all of the Egyptians and Pharaoh they drowned in two inches of water <laughs> so it's one of those kind of situations where the scripture itself testifies to the miraculous nature of what's going on as we noted yesterday what we have is on the sixth day you gather double portion and on the seventh day That that double portion doesn't spoil. But every other day, the double portion does spoil. Again, denoting the supernatural nature of this miracle, truly a miracle, not simply uh, a natural phenomena, but something supernatural, a supernatural phenomena, which is worth noting, not only the parting of the Red Sea, not only the feeding of with quail or with manna, but all these ways in which the Lord God, uh, he, even with the defeat of Amalek, you say, well, maybe they just fought hard. Uh, the people of Israel fought harder against the Amalekites. Like, well, sure, but also they won when Moses was interceding for them and raising the staff of the Lord above them, and they were being defeated when uh, Moses stopped interceding or stopped raising the staff of the Lord above them. Same thing with the water at Meribah and Massa. Like, it's this. It's the reality that. We can try to demystify some things and say, was there a n- natural explanation? And that's a that's a real thing that Catholics do. Whenever someone claims that there's a miracle, the first step that the church does is say, ask the question, Is there any natural explanation for this? Is it possible that this happened simply through natural causes? That's the first question the church always asks. But if there is not, and these stories indicate that there are no natural explanations, then we realize, oh, when all natural explanations are eliminated, What's left is the supernatural. And that's what we have. We have God fighting for his people. Once again, God fighting for his people. Now, one last note before we take a break and see each other tomorrow is in Leviticus chapter 12 today. As we went through this, a very short chapter in Leviticus, it talked about a woman being unclean after giving birth. And that's one of the things that can puzzle some people. So unclean does not mean immoral. Like unclean does not mean bad. It simply is, so the states of being clean an unclean in the old testament among the jewish people it's not a moral state it is not good or bad it simply means can a person approach the temple can a person approach the sanctuary can a person approach the worship of god uh, are they clean in that place where they can do this not again not morally but simply <laughs> according to the category of clean or unclean or can they not if they're unclean what is the determining factor for a lot of things that are clean and unclean. Like for for example, for us as human beings, what would be the, the common denominator? Well, typically, virtually all of the factors that could make a person unclean have to do with life, have to do with life and death. So if a person comes in contact with an animal's carcass, death, they're ritually unclean. So that because that that has life and death, right? So if you come in contact with with death, you're ritually unclean. Also, when there are bodily fluids, those things are not in and of themselves morally good or evil, but they are associated with life. And so uh, if a woman's menstruating, that's blood associated with life. It doesn't mean there's anything bad and the Bible's not saying anything bad about this, but it's saying that, oh no, blood is associated with life. Same thing with when it comes to giving birth. Same thing when it comes to other bodily fluids that is, are connected to life, that the distinction between clean and unclean, especially if we hear that in Leviticus chapter 12 and say, what the, why is this? Why should be unclean? She just gave birth. I mean, that's life into the world. You'd say a hundred percent, but the determining factor is when person is encountering something that has the power of life or death that's a my my cumbersome way of way of pointing out that that is uh, one of the things that can either render a person unclean or clean keeping in mind never forget this keeping in mind that unclean and clean are not moral states they are simply states of am i able to approach worship of the lord or do i need to avoid worship of the lord until i a state of ritual cleanness once again. Not moral cleanness, but ritual cleanness. I hope that that helps. If it doesn't, you know, we have roughly 330 or so more days to talk about this kind of thing with each other Um, and to pray for each other because that's what I'm doing for you. Please pray for me. I cannot wait to see you tomorrow. My name is Father Mike. God bless.